Much of this meditation is from a gentleman named Keith Mays. Um, to, just as a preface, though, uh, I want to tell you a fact that uh, I learned last week. Debbie and I were in San Francisco and visited the California Museum of Science and its planetarium. And we saw a program on cosmology, which is the science of, of what the universe is made of. And I learned that scientists believe that fully 95% of the known universe is made of dark energy and dark matter. And they don't even know really what that is. They haven't seen it or measured it. The remaining 5% is what's here. There are times when I feel very important. Don't we at all times feel that we are the center of the universe for some matter or other and that the world revolves around us? On a good day, I might consider that I'm the culmination of millions of years of evolution, adaptation, and survival, and that I represent the very pinnacle of physical perfection in human form. That's one way of looking at it. Another, more prosaic view, would be to describe myself as a temporary collection of assorted atoms that have been recycled from other objects and are currently assembled in such a way as to create a sentient entity, me. The atoms that currently form me will have all come from something else. Some may have previously been in the rocks of Mount Everest, or perhaps they were seawater, a giant redwood tree, or oxygen in the atmosphere, or the soil under my feet. They could have come from just about anything, even from other planets. Some of my atoms will previously have been part of another person many years ago. And after my death, given enough decades to fully recirculate, will form someone else, and also something else. All over the planet, since it was created, atoms have been busily recycling from one form to another, at times being part of inanimate objects, and other times being part of living things, be it uh, plants, animals, or non-living things. In a strange and paradoxical, paradoxical way, we are both temporary and eternal, thanks to our atoms. Let's take a moment in meditation and prayer. Close our eyes and think about our atoms and how we are all part of something else and someone else. Thank you. We're going to sing, we, are, we Will Overcome. We don't have a piano, so we're going to do a cappella. Maybe one or two of our vocalists can give us a note and get us started. We shall overcome. We shall overcome, we shall overcome someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall Overcome someday. 
we walk hand in hand. We'll walk hand in hand. We'll walk hand in hand someday. Oh, deep in my Today's reading is from Robert Kennedy. Few will have the greatness to bend history itself, but each of us can work to change a small portion of events. It is from numberless diverse acts of courage and belief that human history is shaped. Each time a man stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope and crossing each other from a million different centers of energy and daring those ripples to build a current which can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. I think the worship committee made a huge mistake inviting me to speak. (laughs) They gave a lawyer a podium and a musician a stage. When I saw the list of summer sermons, I thought I would pick justice. After all, I was a practicing lawyer for 28 years. For five years, I was an assistant district attorney for my county and for a very brief time, a defense attorney. Over the years, I served as a law guardian for children, representing their legal interests in custody, abuse, and neglect proceedings. For the last half of my career, I was a bankruptcy trustee. My first thought was that this would be easy. After all, as a prosecutor, my job was not merely to convict criminals, but to seek justice. But it was not easy to write about justice from the heart, even though I had practiced law for so long. My reading and writing on the subject took me on a path I did not expect, and in the process gave me a better understanding of Judaism and some of the practices of my ultra-religious daughter. 
But before I talk about justice, I want to tell you a couple of stories from my days practicing law. The first one took place very, very shortly after I got my license to practice. I was a brand new, shiny lawyer. A local family had three young children, and dad was an abuser. And the middle child had been removed from the home because of dad's abuse. All this happened before I started practicing. Uh, After a while, that child was removed, I mean, was returned to the home, but not long after, he killed that child. Uh, Actually beat him to death. Um, The family court appointed me to represent the mother in a proceeding to remove the remaining two children from the home. Family and abuse, family uh, abuse and neglect is a very complicated dance, and mother, although not an abuser herself, allowed it to happen. I was, of course, appalled and conflicted. How do you represent someone who allowed her child to be beaten to death? Before I had too much chance to worry about it, another family court judge hearing the case called me into his chambers. Counselor, he said, you represent the mother the best you can. The children will be removed from the home. I knew the outcome of the case before it even started. The other case happened many years later, uh, and it involved a bankruptcy case. As I said, I was a trustee, and part of my job as a trustee is to ferret out abuse and, uh, of the bankruptcy system. People lie and cheat and hide assets. Um, I also represented many private clients when they filed bankruptcy. I had a client who came in to see me, and she had accumulated a lot of debt and was clearly eligible to file uh, Chapter 7. As we were going over her debts, I noticed that she had rings on all of her fingers, and they didn't look like costume jewelry. And I, she, what she took as a compliment, I said, I, I, you have a lot of very nice rings on your finger. And she started to say, oh, yes, this one's rubies from my daughter and this diamond from here and this, you know, all these different jewels. So I told her, though, if she filed that if the rings were valuable enough, the trustee would take them, sell them, and use the money to pay the creditors. That wasn't acceptable to her, so she left my office. A few weeks later, she was back, this time without the rings. (laughs) I asked her where the rings were, and she replied that she had given some to her daughter and just didn't have the rest. Can we file? I said, well, no, because you have to report any transfers or sales or gifts of any valuable assets, uh, and the trustee can undo those gifts. Well, once again, that wasn't good for her, so she left. A few weeks later, I was reviewing a group of bankruptcy papers, which I was assigned to as trustee. Guess whose papers were among them? Yes, my old client. Were the rings listed? No. Were the gifts or transfers listed? No. What should I do? I'm going to get back to those two cases later. That's my bait to keep you here. (laughs) As I began thinking about the topic of justice, I had more questions than answers. For instance, where do we get the idea of justice from? Is it handed down from the ancients? Are humans hardwired to be just? What is justice? Is it another name for fairness? I didn't think so, especially after hearing this line on a police procedural. They don't call it the criminal fairness system. 
during what time period are we viewing justice? Clearly, the concept of what, uh, what is just has changed over the millennia. Conduct in institutions that were once accepted are considered unjust today. Where are we talking about justice? Is justice the same here as in other parts of the world? Our mission is promoting justice in the world. Do we really mean that? The iconic image of justice is Lady Justice, who's here helping me today. The origin of a woman flare, uh, wearing flowing robes, blindfolded and carrying scales, and a sword dates back to ancient Greece. Themis was a Greek mythological goddess depicted with the scales of justice in one hand, a sword in the other, and her eyes covered. She became known as the goddess of divine justice. Whenever I used to see that image, I always focused on the blindfold and the inference that justice is admitted fairly and equally without prejudice and without regard to color, gender, or wealth. Of course, in practical terms, we know that justice is not really blind. It would be naive to say that justice is administered equally among all the races or classes. But it is an ideal. Uh, this reminds me of another case um, which turned out to be one of my last as a, as a, bankrupt, as a uh, defense attorney. A young man had set his apartment on fire. I knew the family very well. In fact, the family was fairly well known in, in the community of Auburn, New York, which was very small, so it's one of those places that everybody knew everybody. Uh, the young man was caught. He was just sitting right out in front of the fire and the police saw him there and questioned him and he admitted they would set his room on fire in an attempt to kill himself. Uh, the problem was that the man was severely emotional, emotionally disturbed and probably fit the definition of legally insane. As a small community, the family and this particular young man was known to the judge to the district attorney as well as myself. I had offered to plead him right off the bat to not guilty by reason of insanity and he, he would be institutionalized. But the judge and the DA would not hear it. They said, we finally caught ourselves an arsonist and he's going to prison as an example. Well, this guy would have died in prison. He was small and uh, he just would have been eaten alive. So I got the requisite psychiatric report and then it which came back that he was legally insane and the DA did the same thing. And ultimately, after a fight, we were able to plead him not guilty by reason of insanity and he spent many years in an institution. The lesson there, though, for me, on a you know, small level, was that justice doesn't come easy and it's something that we have to fight for. As I was preparing this sermon, I found myself this time focusing more on the scales that Lady Justice is holding. What is being balanced? Was there a universal department of weights and measures? Was it as simple as balancing justice against injustice? Or was there more to infer from the scales? Well, back to my first question. Where do we get the idea of justice from? All, of all the living kingdoms of nature, from the simplest bacteria, uh, protists, fungi, plants, and almost all animals, except for Homo sapiens, we, they survive, thrive, or die according to Darwin's principle of natural selection. After years of observation, Darwin theorized that 
Those species best adapted to their environment survive. Now, he did not say that the strongest survive, but the best adapted to their environment will survive. It may be the strongest or the fastest or the best camouflaged or the best burrower, um, but it's always the best adapted. There's no fairness, no justice, no morality, no ethics uh, in, in natural selection. Why is it that we humans show justice and mercy to our fellows? Why do we protect the most vulnerable among us? Where does it come from? A Yale study was reported some time ago in the New York Times. Studies at the Yale University Infant Cognition Center suggest that babies are born with an innate sense of justice and morality. The study showed that five-month-old babies showed a preference for puppets that were portrayed as being nice. The professor conducting the study concluded morality is a synth synthesis of the biological and cultural. Babies possess a certain moral foundation. It seems then that we may be hardwired, at least on a very basic level, to act fairly with each other. And from the moral foundation that is bred into the species, we have created a well-defined sense of justice. Clearly, though, justice differs from time to time and place to place. Slavery has been part of society from the time hunters stopped being, or I'm sorry, from the time humans stopped being hunters and gatherers. The Old and New Testaments explicitly condone slavery, and those holy books are extensive rules for owning and treating slaves. It was not until the late 1500s and 1600s that slavery was thought of as an immoral and unjust institution. Today, for the most part, most rational people condemn slavery. I say for the most part because there's still an active and profitable sex slave trade. Similarly, those who oppose equal rights for gays and lesbians cite a handful of passages from the Old and New Testament. It is a fairly recent development, at least in modern Western countries, that one's sexual orientation is not seen as a crime or a sin. Just by these two examples alone, we can see that our ideas of what is just changes over the millennia. This is not to say, however, that we can or should ignore the holy books for their ideas on what is just and uh, that they contain. As I'll discuss in a second, um, we may be hardwired on a basic level to be just, but we can look to the ancients for ideas of justice. Does all this mean, like about slavery and, and uh, sexual rights, that we are becoming more just as a species? Looking at the events in the Middle East and in Ferguson, Missouri, it would seem not. I do not know how to process the shooting of Michael Brown, a young, unarmed African-American man. It is early. We know the outcome, but there are too few facts. If we take this case, though, the Trayvon Martin case, and other cases where young African-American men are slain by police or by police wannabes, then I sadly think the arc of justice has not progressed far enough. Another area where I believe strongly that the arc has not bent far enough is the imposition of the death penalty. And I'm going to use my power on the podium to editorialize for a second. I do not support the state-sponsored execution of inmates. In fact, 
the fact that a vast majority on death row are minority, that over 100 men on death row have been exonerated, and that we are in the lonely company of Iran, North Korea, China, and Iraq in imposing the death penalty makes it unacceptable to me. However, I think if you look at the long term, I would propose to you that we are, as a species, becoming more just. As Martin Luther King said in a 1954 commencement speech, the arc of, more of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. That sentence, by the way, was borrowed from an 1857 sermon delivered by Unitarian minister and abolitionist Theodore Parker. The metaphor of, an, a, moral, of a moral universe bending towards justice is comforting and puts in context how justice changes over time. Today, the same arc is bending towards justice in the areas of marriage equality, gender equality, and environmental justice. By the way, the full quote from Theodore Parker is at the end of your order of service. Another question I raise is justice where? We covenant to promote justice in the world. In some cases, this is an easy concept, and examples abound. Given the chance, all of us would do our part to repeal draconian anti-gay laws on the books in Uganda. We would fight for the right of Asian women to be free of the sex trade. I suspect most, if not all of us, would undertake action to free Central American children from the violence they face at home and the discrimination they face in the U.S. All of these involve the inherent dignity of individuals. But let's look at other examples. I read just the other day that 90% of marriages in India are arranged, and many of those involve dowry. In 2013, nearly 8,000 Indian women were killed by their husbands or their in-laws because they could not meet dowry demands. Is that our job as you use to change all cultural beliefs that we feel are unjust? I don't have an answer. People, I got to look at these looks. But my exploration on the issue of justice led me to one central question. What is justice? In a surprisingly satisfying moment, I thought justice was nothing more than seeing my grandsons giving their mother, my daughter, a hard time and sassing back at her, just as she did to me and my mother and her mother over time. Although humorous, there's a feeling that comes with the notion that is somehow satisfying. <laughs> Whether we call it karma, getting what is due, we inherently feel some satisfaction when we see justice done. This definition of justice comes from American philosopher Cornell West. Justice is what love looks like in public. And this definition comes from Plato. Individually, justice is a human virtue that makes a person self-consistent and good. Socially, justice is a social consciousness that makes a society internally harmonious and good. I can tell you what injustice is. Somewhere in the Ukraine or in Russia, there's a soldier who toggled a switch that loosed the missile that brought down an airliner that killed 298 people. My guess is that he'll never be arrested or prosecuted for that crime. There's a gut feeling that one gets with situations like these that we know is unjust. Now I want to take you back to the cases I talked about at the beginning. There was a hearing in the, in the abuse case, and in the course of the hearing, 
uh, or the, the, child, the two children were removed. In the course of the hearing, it came out that mom had been abused as a child and was probably abused by her husband. After some therapy and work, mom did get her two living children back, and the dad went to prison. For the next two, ten years or so, that woman called me at the, every year telling me how things were going. At the outset, it, it seemed that the case was rigged and unjust, but the outcome for both the children and the mom was fair and just. The bankruptcy case was less satisfying. Understand that bankruptcy petitions and schedules are legal documents they're sworn to, and that a, a person who files has to go to a hearing where they're sworn in and testify under oath. My duty as a trustee is to is to report bankruptcy fraud, but that duty conflicted with another duty, and that's the near absolute duty to maintain client confidences. After some consultation, I decided that the duty of maintaining confidences prevailed. My former cl client got away with fraud, and even today that's upsetting to me. Here, though, I want to talk about the meaning of justice in another way. Some of what I'm about to discuss comes from the Old Testament. I want to preface the next remarks with this. Many secular people, myself included, look at the Bible as a hindrance to justice. After all, it condones slavery. It's used to discriminate against gays. It's a cause of war and slaughter. But what follows are at least a couple of ideas that I, that I read to the contrary. In Judaism, there are two Hebrew words for justice, mishpat and tzadikeh. I'm hoping I'm saying those correct. I'm close. The following is from an article in Relevant Magazine which re was reviewing the book Generous Justice by Tim Keller, who's a Presbyterian minister. The Hebrew word for justice, mishpat, occurs in various forms more than 200 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. Its most basic meaning is to treat people equitably. It means acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case, regardless of race or social status. Anyone who does the same wrong should be given the same penalty. Mishpat, then, is giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. But Mishpat means more than just punishing of wrongdoing. It also means people giving people their rights. This is why if you look at every place the word is used in the Old Testament, several classes of persons continually come up. Over and over again, Mishpat describes taking up the care and cause of widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor, those of who have been called the quartet of the vulnerable. We must have a strong concern for the poor, but there is more to the biblical idea of justice than that. We get more insight when we consider the second Hebrew word, that can be translated as being just, though it usually is translated as being righteous. That word is zadikeh, and it refers, to a, uh, it refers to a life of right relationships. Zadikeh refers to day-to-day -day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with a fairness, generosity, and equity. By the way, if I was a cartoon character when I read that, a giant light bulb would have just like flashed over my head. The next idea comes from chapter 6 of the book of Micah. Israel is asking God what he wants from them. 
Do you want more rights? Do you want more sacrifices? Do you want bigger sacrifice? And God replies, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? This well-known chapter is often cited in support of doing social justice, but on a more basic level, it is describing relationships between an individual and his God to walk humbly and an individual and society in general to love mercy and to do justice. The following quote is by a Jesuit priest lawyer who was writing in the St. John's Law Review, which summarizes my point. Those who search for justice see that its attainment relies on each person being in the right relation with the other. Often when we speak of justice, it's preceded by modifiers, social justice, economic justice, environmental justice, racial justice, LGBT justice. What do the modifiers do? They describe a relationship between people or between people and the world around them. Finally, I want to get back to the scales. The scales represent right relationships. In a mundane way, when I step on my scale at home, it's describing how much I weigh and the relationship to how much have I exercised and how well my pants going to fit. Okay? With Themis, the scales are not merely balancing justice and injustice or crime and punishment, but much more than that. The scales represent relationships. I would submit that on one side is compassion, wisdom, courage, and fairness, and on the other, fear, hatred, anger, and bigotry. I want to conclude with this. If we accept the idea that justice is each person being in a right relationship with another, then I submit to you that before we can be a congregation that promotes justice in the world, that we must all be in a right relationship with one another. Perhaps we can amend our mission to promoting justice in the world and within our community or within our congregation by seeking right relations with one another. This is the time that we need to complete our covenant of right relations.